You're listening to Have Mike Will Travel with Elizabeth Santry. Hi, I'm Elizabeth. Welcome to the show. This podcast is about creativity, the professional aspects of creativity. Well, you could also say it's about creative thinking. You see, a career in a creative profession typically means carving your own path and making a lot of important decisions alone. And when competition is fierce and the market's uncertain, getting firsthand insight can really help. Join me as I interview full-time creative professionals and ask them to reflect on these really important moments in their career. Each episode, my guests open up about significant and sometimes even subtle choices that have led to their success. I know it can feel lonely out there, so I hope you find their stories as inspiring as I do. That's the sound of boats puttering along the Regent's Canal. This episode was recorded in London. My guest, creative strategist Melissa Andrada, invited me to one of her favorite cafes. The sound is coming from after our interview. We actually hung out for a bit along the canal, which was great. I had been traveling nonstop for almost a month, and it was really nice to have an excuse to just stop and enjoy the environment. We were feeding the ducks and hanging out and having a wonderful conversation. I mean, sometimes it happens when you turn off the mic, the conversation can take a different direction, and it's just really nice to get to know my guests even better. Melissa is particularly a special soul. She's got an incredible head for business. She's full of ideas and a lot of passion, but she also has a lot of emotional intelligence. She's someone who just gets what's going on and is eager to help people find their true paths and get things done. I really love her energy and her personality. I'm a big fan. I hope you enjoy this show. I really appreciate you inviting me. This space is yeah. really great. I have never had avocado on toast that was that good, to be honest. Yay. So I wanted to dive in um, and just get in, mm-hmm. talk about location. Sure. Um, why London, you know, and, and you can back that up as, as far back as yeah. you want, but I, I mean, and what is this environment, this current location doing for you creatively or just for your career? How is it stimulating you? You know, I moved to London, it was largely pragmatic reasons. I was going through a breakup in New York, <laughs> and I was like, shit, what am I going to do? I'd always wanted to move to Europe, and it, my company had an office in London, so I just asked to transfer. And sometimes I say no on my company, and I think one thing, if you want to get abroad, one great thing to do is to um, think about maybe working for a company with international offices, and then seeing if there's potential to transfer at some point yeah. during your career. And I think really saying it with conviction. Yeah, say what, what sold it to you. So basically you know? I told, I met with our strategy director, and I was like, Mary Ellen, I want to move to Europe. I'd like to stay at Wolf Holland. I'd like to transfer. Can you make this happen? Yeah. And she said, of course. Of course I'll advocate for you. No, that's fantastic. Um, did you, like, what were you thinking as you were leading up to it? Did you do any sort of like, mental preparation or professional preparation to sort of be heard a little bit better? So I was really fortunate that there was a project that took place in New York and London. And so I had a chance to go to London for a week. I went to London in March. It was dark and gray. And I was like, shit, do I actually want to move here? I don't know, maybe I should just do a secondment, not a permanent transfer. And I was getting cold feet, because I really love New York. But then in the end, I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. 
you only live once. So I asked for a permanent transfer, and three three years later, here I am. Okay, so it, it took a while, and that's and I think it's great to remind people of the patience that it takes yeah. to get something you really want. And what has being in London done? You know, like what, does it feel like you made the right choice? Definitely, I think it's. It's been interesting because I, I came here um, more for the lifestyle and more di- for the idea of moving to Europe. Um, but it's actually really, really helped me professionally. In part because London is a less competitive city than New York. New York is a city where you constantly feel behind, even if you're on top of your game and you just got a promotion and you have offers from two different companies, there will always be someone that feels like they're ahead and, and people are a lot more boastful and visible about it. London is a much more, it's just calmer city. I felt that way. I wasn't sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm just nice to hear someone yeah. sort of reiterate the same opinion. Yeah. There is an ease here that's just you can't put um, yeah. my finger on. And I love the proximity to Europe, like just being able to, I mean, on Wednesday I was like, I'm feeling ridiculously spontaneous, I'm sucking going to go to Paris on Wednesday. I didn't do that, but I have my password at work now, so I can do that whenever I feel like it. And that kind of freedom makes me more creative, just knowing that I can break routine, I can do something that is completely, doesn't make sense, doesn't fit within my schedule, and just do it. And I've met a lot of really amazing people in London, too, that um, I don't think it's necessarily the city, though. I think it's just, in a way, London was more of a a channel for me to meet certain people in different parts of the world. So The international um, aspect of it? Yes, but it's, it's difficult to explain. Like, it just, I think... My my identity in London is so closely tied to my company, Wolf Owens. Um And because I work for this company, I've been able to do things like go to Nigeria on a travel grant from work and meet really inspiring people in the education and design space to this company. And, and because like we also have an office that's, that sits on the canal, and it's really important for me being by water. Mm-hmm. And so being able to kind of sit with my laptop or to work at my desk and see the water is, is really nice. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about the kitchen and how long has that been going on? So the kitchen was, in, or kitchen rather, oh, sorry. was inspired <laughs> by our actual kitchen at Wolf Owens because we, my co-founder and I shared a passion for education, for learning. And in a way, selfishly, it was just to be able to apply our, our passion to what we do at work but simultaneously we saw a need with our clients to learn about the stuff that we've been doing for the past 50 years. Things like branding, storytelling, um, collaborative leadership. And it's been a really amazing experience to be able to start something inside a 50-year-old organization. It's fucking hard, <laughs> mm-hmm. but incredibly gratifying. And um, I think that there's, in terms of, I guess, what people can learn from my experience in starting it, I think having a real passion for what you're doing because there will be a lot of sleepless nights, there will be people who will question what are you doing, there will be um, lots of experimentation and within that comes failure and being okay with that, Mm. failure being okay with the ambiguity. I think second, which I wish I had known or thought about before, was that you are not your idea. You're not your business. Mm. So being able to separate self mm-hmm. from what you do or your project or your business is so 
important, especially when you are dealing with criticism or people are questioning what you do. Yeah, because I, I love that you're saying that. Um, I feel like I had sort of picked that up along the lines where I worked at a, I worked at a really huge company and I learned pretty quickly that um, no idea is bad for that long and no idea is good for that long because before you know it, someone who will blow off an idea three weeks later yeah. when they're desperate for an idea will be like, what was that idea you had again? You know? Yeah. And you're like, I thought they hated it. And then vice versa where you have, and as soon as the, your good idea isn't working, it's like, and whose idea was that anyway? You know? I'm not, so that's not a positive Absolutely. example. But the point was, is that how to separate from ideas. I think that's really great advice. I had, I don't think that's really come up yet in the show. Yeah. It's super important because I, I think also the third thing is is being, is really knowing yourself because that defines what kind of leader you are and you'll you'll become that that you there's I think a lot of kind of dominant narratives around what a leader looks like whether that's someone like more like Steve Jobs who's top down a bit more top down to someone like Sheryl Sandberg who seems a bit more collaborative yet still has a bit more of a I guess an extroverted way of being Mm -hmm. in the world Mm -hmm. um and for me part of this year has been kind of defining what type of leader I want to be and what type of impact I want to have on the world based on who I am because mm-hmm. you can't I'm not a naturally extroverted person I like talking to people but being around lots of people all the time taking new business meetings takes a lot of my energy so I have to be really careful about how I manage my energy mm-hmm. and I think that's great because uh, especially in the first season I, br- I would often ask people what they did outside of work yeah. To regroup and refresh and recharge because when you're working, I mean, I was kind of teasing you a bit when you first walked in. I was like, how do you get it all done? You do so much. You're so damn productive. And you had said about, you know, regrouping, you know. And so is there anything in particular that you like to do that helps you do that? Because I think reminding people that how important it is to not do work. I, I know. I, I know. Hunting cafes is definitely on your list of. <laughs> well, there's, there's so much. There's so. I could write a whole book on it. Um, I think being even intentional about your your diary or what we call in that in England we would call it, um, diary, but it's in the states calendar. Yeah. It's a U.S. audience, right? Well, mostly. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. hey, who knows? <laughs> Hopefully, the world. Yeah. But yes, I know what you're saying. Calendar diary is making sure to book and times for reflection and times for you to just chill out or think or really put your head down I think also getting off social media I've gone through whole months where I just got off Facebook and I really didn't miss anything Mm. and I saved so much time and energy I've actually recently deleted Instagram off my phone too Um, and you think oh this is my primary way of keeping in touch I have friends all over the world and I'm like well if I actually want to be in touch with someone who's close to me, they'll call me or text me or email me. Like, they'll know how to get a hold of me. And I'd rather actually be more serendipitous about mm. how I mm-hmm. connect with people. Mm-hmm. I think also, third thing is just having, it's so basic, but having people that you can really be real with. Like, we're like, shit, I'm, I'm like drowning. This is not working. Like, can you help me? and not being afraid to ask for support. You know, I have a therapist. I think mm. it's great. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think people should be ashamed of, like, seeing a therapist or, like, 
asking for extra support at work if you're like I yeah. you know I'm, I wonder I need where that help. stigma came yeah. from it's a shame because I mean a true intellectual knows that you have to dissect and rework your brain yeah. and then it's not some sort of weakness point you know yeah absolutely for sure and I also love that whole asking for help I mean I'm sort of picking that up more from traveling in a you know yeah. you'd be absolutely shocked yeah timing and like you said serendipitous is asking for help it's a shame that it seems like it's weakness but really it's just seeking collaboration because you don't know two minds sometimes are better absolutely and you can't do it alone if you're starting something anything anything that to use this jargony word but scales will require a lot of people and you have to know how to bring people on the journey people you don't like necessarily people you do like and it's just it requires a really strong sense of self and a really strong um, foundation to really be able to navigate through all of the the bullshit and uncertainty but in the end it's incredibly gratifying when you can see the impact that Mm. you've had on people's lives and for me that's been the impact that I've really enjoyed and has really touched me in a visceral way has been the relationships that I've made with different learners um, from people like some people I've met in Brazil, people I haven't even met who, who live in Texas, mm-hmm. um, who have come to our our classes and, and really um, have really changed the way that they work and think about the world. That's awesome. So on the topic of problem, I'm sorry, of asking for help, you you wrote a really great, you know, concise but yet mm-hmm. like thoughtful piece um, on your blog about um, seeking a mentor. And I think it might sound so simple that, you know, like yeah. why would someone need instructions? It seems very like, well, you know, yeah. obvious, but you did it in a really great way. And you, I love these points that you made. I mean, I essentially wrote them down because I didn't want you to feel <laughs> like on the spot. I'm sure you wrote it a while ago <laughs> in case you don't really remember. But it's like, so you talked about sharing the same passion, having chemistry between the relationship, um, you know, allowing the person to help you connect and making sure the person advocates for you. Mm-hmm. But last but not least, it was like, just get up and do it. And I think that's, that was probably the best mm-hmm. because putting any off that can essentially help you grow and change and develop is worthwhile but um is there anything you want to you know add to that um I think that that's a great summary so thanks for that (laughs) I think that it doesn't have to be a big thing that it can be as small as I think start with baby steps because it might be intimidating to approach someone you really admire for a full like hour you could even do just can you do a 20 minute call can you do 20 minute breakfast Everyone has 20 minutes, no matter how busy you are. Mm. It's just being able to show that you're valuable enough for them to invest in. Mm. So not being able to, not forgetting what's in it for them. So if you do write an email, being really specific about why you want to work with them. Can you point to a specific article that they've written or a project that they're passionate about? Find that uncommon commonality that you and that person share. And then be really conscious of their time understand that they're busy but offer a specific window with potentially different dates and be as flexible as possible and then show how what you're doing connects to what they're doing and being really clear that I couldn't get this information anywhere else but you like if you can google it you shouldn't even be talking I see that's fantastic to remind people yeah Yeah. no I like that and then I think when I read this in a blog post once is being able to show that you've already helped them in some way. So even if you tweet something that they tweeted that was important to them or there was a job post that they posted mentioning that mm-hmm. um, 
and then in people like helping other people who have helped them. Yeah, no, that's great. I almost see the parallel just from my personal experience yeah. with e-commerce with e and retail is like, you know, when you're shopping online, you never make the customer work for it. Yeah. And you always give them the links and the opportunities to make that sale. And it's like, so what, it sounds like what you're saying with mentorship is that you don't make your mentor have to work, especially in the beginning. Yeah. You, you just do all the work yeah. for them and say, just meet me and open your brain up to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Absolutely. And I think... You can have mentors for different purposes. Yeah. You can have a mentor that you have an ongoing relationship with, which I think are the best mentors because they really help you grow professionally and personally. But then you can also have kind of more specialist mentors who maybe have a subject matter expertise, like in something as specific as SEO or maybe like business development. And you don't need an ongoing relationship necessarily, but you need to pick someone's brain on a mm. topic. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. Um, we were talking before about uh, energy level. I don't know if we caught that on yeah. the show or not, or was it before, but um, I was teasing you about your energy <laughs> level. And, you know, so basically I want to know where do you find daily inspiration, daily motivation to keep the energy going and producing as much as you are? Honestly, it came from the fact that I thought I was going to die. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's quite existential. I came to this profound insight last week um, that if I'm not perfect, that if I don't do this project, if I don't make the sale, that I, um, I'm not going to die. I mean, it sounds incredibly trite, but I think when you are such a, an achievement-oriented person, when you are such a junkie when it comes to perfection, it's really easy to feel like, this is like completely it's, it's going deep but it's like if you don't do this well you therefore don't deserve to exist um so i wouldn't recommend that to well, other those people. are the trappings of per perfection yes mm -hmm. but i do think that i guess for me i have a natural i have a lot of energy and so for me doing is just a part of who i am um what people view as like hard work or productivity is just like me breathing air or just drinking water and it's not to say that I'm that other people can't be like this mm. I mean I think I guess practically speaking a lot of this I mean unfortunately a lot of it comes from feelings of unworthiness and mm. adversity it's a shame but yeah I know what you're saying but I think part of it is looking at your experience of difference and adversity as a positive so I'll give you an example one reason I'm so passionate about learning because I was five years old I took this standardized test to get into this program for highly capable children. I was five years old, I failed the test, and since I was five, I thought that I was stupid. I mean, being told when you're five years old that you're not good enough, yeah. that you're not smart enough. I took the test again, I was in second grade, and still failed. <laughs> and my mom, fortunately, like convinced the people of the Seattle School District to get me into this program, and I, did really well, I got straight A's, I was valedictorian, blah, blah, blah. But it's this constant feeling like I need to prove myself. I don't actually shouldn't be in this room. <laughs> but it took me a while to actually really like realize, no, like I am extremely intelligent and I have a different type of intelligence that most people don't have. Um, and because I had that experience that was so traumatic when I was little, I'm so passionate about learning and helping other people learn and find what they're really, really good at, what like yeah. makes them feel alive and gets them up in the morning. And you just, you don't have that same burning passion unless you've really been 
and it way traumatized. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a, what makes really great art a lot of yeah. times is, you know, adversity and, you know, yeah. pain yeah. and disconnection and, yeah, and rejection. You know, yeah. I know exactly. I mean, I have similar examples. There's just something in you that, that holds on to that memory, that little yeah. moment, and you're yeah. sort of like, a, I'm doing it for that little kid who blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, absolutely. And it's just, it's important to come from a place of, of worthiness and to focus on the things that, that you're really passionate about. And I guess in terms of, I don't know, I question to what extent we need to do more doing or to, to being more productive. Like people are always like, how does this person do so much? And I think that first of all, there's different qualities of doing and not doing for the sake of doing isn't good doing. Right. And I think being really aware of like, are you doing this because you want, because this is like the set path of what we define to be a good human being to be successful is to make more money, to like in the creative industries to have more awards, to be featured in more blogs, you know, to even have interviews like this. I mean, it's incredibly like flattering, but then like, am I doing it for the ego boost? Or am I doing it because I genuinely want to make the world a better place? I genuinely want to make the world more beautiful and useful. So how I'm refocusing my energy is is really focusing on the problems that I want to solve as they intersect with my personal mm. experience. Because that sustains both societal need, but then also your personal passion. Right, and I love that you're being honest about the the real perspective of you know perfection or whatever because you, you don't you're not just born with this balanced you know calm no. mature perspective on life so sometimes the product productivity or how you get things going and where your motivation comes might not be the ideal place no. but the fact that you're acknowledging it and making the shift you know and trying to be on yourself to be sure that it's coming from the right place and it's the outputs the right energy yeah. the inputs the right energy because I think that's just a part of the process and yeah. I love that you're being vulnerable enough to admit you know where it's coming from you know what I mean I think that's great so and yeah. then I think you're making a perfect segue because I definitely want to talk to you about social impact I mean yeah. um, congratulations by the way on your uh, fund your uh, crowdfunding Thank you. <laughs> and achieving your goal. Please, you know, feel free. I'd love to hear loads about uh, yeah. your project. So I was born in Nigeria. I had always wanted to go back. And I finally went back um, last year after nearly 30 years. And I didn't know what to expect. I was originally just going to go for fun. He's like, well, let's, let's like going to Paris. Let's just go to fucking Legos. <laughs> it is not like going to Paris. It is not like going to Amsterdam or even like Bangkok or yeah. Manila. You have to go there with a purpose. And, and before I went, a lot of people, even on social media, Twitter, were like, why are you going? It's incredibly dangerous. Um, even during my campaign, someone was like, I don't even want to fund your campaign. You shouldn't go there. Wow. Because they didn't exactly say that. Right, right, right. But that was what they were implying. And I <laughs> went there and I met the most incredible people. I had a security guard with an AK-47, but I really didn't, like, need one. Oh, my God. <laughs> and in many ways, having a security guard makes you more of a, a target. Because uh, um, you appear to be mm-hmm. somebody. You appear okay. to be important when yeah. you're like, no, I'm just, I'm a grad student. <laughs> <laughs> and because there's this misperception of Nigeria and there's so much fear surrounding this place that people can't get access to things like eBay. They can't order, they can't order things on um, the internet. Yeah. Um, and so I was really 
inspired by the people that I met, but also really, really influenced by this the level of fear that exists around places that people don't know about. And so I wanted to, in a way, construct a new narrative of Nigeria based on inspiration and love rather than fear. It's really important because it, it just continues to push away and disconnect that group of, or that area because it, just, it is, I mean, so misunderstood. Yeah. And so the theme we, we wanted to look at it through is the theme of hustling. Because everyone in Lagos is a hustler, but we don't see hustling as a bad thing. Hmm. We see it as a way of making stuff happen for yourself, but also for the world. And so we're going to go there. My sister, who's my partner in crime, and her boyfriend, and a couple other people to make this um, set of video vignettes about hustling in Nigeria. And the idea is to take the idea to other parts of the world. Okay, so it's going to roll out, hopefully, sustainable. You're creating a a narrative, a template, and then continue on. That's cool. I didn't know that. Well, we'll see. I mean, I don't want to, like... I, don't want, yeah. I have this tendency to go, go too big, but that, that's something we'd like to do. So we'll see. But it should be, it should be really, um, the process itself has been a process of hustling, um, and I'm sure the end product will be as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. What is your experiences with crowdfunding? Crowdfunding is an interesting way of raising money. It's hard. I think there's definitely the misperception that it's just like, I'm using other people's money. This is so easy. Just give it to me kind of attitude. And it's a shame because it's not, it's gut wrenching (laughs) having done it myself and asking for a fraction of what most people ask for. I mean, it was gut wrenching. It's hard. Here's, here's what I would have done differently. So I've actually done crowdfunding first for my sister. That was my first experience, which was for her 30th birthday. And I got all these friends to like pay for a plane ticket that was called 30 for 30. And I was like, this is awesome. This is super easy. I just raised $1,300 in like three weeks. I could like raise like much bigger amount next time. Yeah, that was really naive. <laughs> um, so we set our bar for $10,000. And what I think there's three things we could have done differently. A, set our financial target for a much lower amount. Um, B, probably spend more time on marketing. And C, been a lot clearer about the need that we're filling. Sounds so basic. And I work in brand strategy, so this is like my bad. But... <laughs> Um, this is the problem when you do too much is you don't have time to think through everything that you do. I think being realistic about your funding target, like treat it as if you're creating a business. Who do you, I, we created Excel spreadsheets with the amount that we predicted of people who would um, donate and then also the amount that they might donate. Being Doing the math and seeing, okay, if I need to raise $10,000, then I need to like get... 10 people to donate a thousand, not what, my math isn't right, sorry, (laughs) I need a thousand people to donate $10, Right. you know, and just thinking about the different permutations that could take, and then who do you know in your network that you could tap into, so where can you reach large groups of people, and and, and to be honest, a lot of it happens one-on-one. Like, we did a lot of kind of more broadcast marketing, but it will be your friends and family, and the average donation will is $25. So you can probably count on your hands how many friends and family you have. Being really realistic about that, and that I think from there, setting a modest 
maybe a bit more modest of the amount you think your friends and family mm-hmm. will donate. In terms of the other things I just talked about, um, so being clear about what the need is, so I definitely think that this is an important need, but it's not necessarily something people identify as a need. So being really clear about the value proposition to the people that are donating. And part of where we landed was, okay, people might not actually care about Nigeria or even interesting, inspiring people there. So what's the hook? And part of where we landed, which isn't quite perfect, but is content that entertains you but also changes the world. And mm-hmm. People, they want that. They want yeah. to be able to know that they're making a difference and they, they're going to be entertained. I think one compelling aspect was you're saying you wanted to dismantle some of the fear. And I think when people are actually honest with themselves and go, yeah, actually, I'm too afraid and too intimidated to travel there. And she is. Well, she's probably right that there's there needs to be like you know a, dis- a new discussion being had you know that was what what hit me is because you know I, I would ac- actually be too intimidated to travel there and I wouldn't have thought of it as a yeah. as a I wouldn't have thrown a pin on the on the map necessarily to go there so I thought well if that's how I feel and I try to consider myself a fairly open-minded person then shit what is the average no offense what is the average idiot or <laughs> not thoughtful yeah. Or just judgmental person yeah. have to say, and I thought, well, then it is important to start spreading some, some news stories and exposure. Absolutely. And then the last point, which was actually my second point, was the marketing piece. It's just really planning, 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 planning. You cannot underestimate the amount of planning that goes even to something that's like a thousand dollars. Takes a lot of planning because you need your your video. You need to write a really compelling. Um, value proposition you want to get other people involved I mean I was super fortunate that my parents just like hopped on board and joined my marketing they were like my marketing team basically (laughs) and I didn't even ask them but finding people who can be your advocates because the more people you have fundraising with you the more you're likely to raise and hit your target absolutely when um can you give me some dates like what uh, in terms of project when you're leaving when do you plan to start editing um When when can people see it uh, we're planning to go over the summer and probably do a release in the fall. And we're in the process of defining who our media partners are um, and event partners as well. But we're really excited to make this happen. And we've never made a film before. But in the spirit of hustling, we're just going to make it happen. Yeah, you're talking to someone who just gets up and reinvents their lives like every three yeah, years. So exactly. I totally get what you're talking about. Get up about. and hustle. Yeah. That is my mantra for the film, but also for myself. So. Yeah. That's awesome. And then when do you expect it to be available? I mean, do you have a timeline? I know a lot Not of things. Exactly. It's fair. I mean. In the, at the end of the year, probably. And then festivals, kind of You approach? know, we, I haven't even thought about festivals. It's totally fine. <laughs> I mean, I just sort of like, I think festivals are interesting. Um, and people have mentioned them. But it's more, uh, yeah, I mean, I come from a more commercial marketing brand background. So... I'm just keen to kind of spread, for us, the mission is more about shining a light on a place that people don't know about. So what is going to help further that? I see. Instead of putting it to other people who already kind of know, expose it to people who you're really going to be making change in their mind. That's fantastic. Well, best of luck with that. I really appreciate, I know you're so busy, it's (laughs) kind of hard to get get you to sit down with me, so I'm so glad it actually happened. But yeah, thanks for showing me this new cafe and everything. Thanks for listening. Be sure to show your support through comments and reviews. 